Welcome to Pemba On Demand. I'm Norm Chapin, your host. I am very excited to welcome you to our podcast. Pemba On Demand is produced for physicians interested in professional development. We will be discussing a wide range of topics on the podcast. I will be interviewing physician leaders from the U.S. and from other countries who have graduated from the Physician Executive MBA program at the University of Tennessee. These physicians will be sharing stories of professional and personal growth, overcoming challenges in their organizations, and discussing key leadership skills they have learned from the MBA program and ongoing professional development. Welcome to Pemba On Demand, Physicians Making a Difference. I'm excited that you could join us for our podcast tonight with an exciting physician leader and entrepreneur. Tonight, I'm excited to introduce uh, a guest, Dr. Amit Prasad, who is joining us. Dr. Prasad and I first got to know each other when we did a um, an episode of the Physician Leadership Symposium, uh, a Zoom meeting actually for the University of Tennessee several months ago. And Dr. Prasad, Amit, uh, gave a presentation on artificial intelligence, which is what we're here to uh, discuss tonight, as well as talk a little bit about his career and his journey. So, Amit, welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on tonight. Thank you, Norman. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you again. And uh, we're uh, we're recording this on a Friday night in the evening. So uh, this is the end of a, a, a long week for me, but I don't know how your week has been. It has been long and it has been full of little issues that I've had to solve, but that's part of my life. So nothing yeah. unusual. So you're currently uh, the chief medical officer for a hospital, a hospital Correct. system, Methodist Labonhar. Uh, how long have you been in that role? So I've been in this role about uh, about two and a half years now. Uh, been kind of uh, started during the uh, uh, during the COVID surge, or the fourth surge or whatever. And at that time, of course, healthcare was in shambles. We had really a lot of shortages, nursing staff, and everything else that was going on at that time. And at that time, I was actually well positioned as a health plan chief medical officer. I really had few worries at that time. I mean, COVID was, of course, a concern, but at the health plan, we were doing quite well. But I just couldn't stay away from the action. I really am first and foremost a provider, and the bedside beckoned, and I had to just jump in. So I did, and here I am now. Uh, what company were you serving as a health plan f- chief medical officer for? I was with United Healthcare. I was in the Mississippi Medicaid program. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how long, how many years had you done that? So that I did about three years. Okay. So now you're back in your role as a chief medical officer for a, a hospital on the acute care side. Correct. And um, how have... It sounds like you and I, I I transitioned into a CMO role for uh, a new healthcare organization, a new job just at the beginning of the COVID pandemic as well. So it was interesting dealing with something that was of that magnitude at the same time I was getting to know the medical staff and getting to know the organization. How how Mm -hmm. did you find that transition? It was very difficult. And, you know, amongst the little things you don't realize, you know, everybody was masked at that time. So to even read facial expressions and see if you were connecting with them or anything like that was so challenging. And in fact, I had to reintroduce myself to everybody a second time when the masks went away. So very strange kind of surreal, hey, have I met 
met you before. I, you look familiar in a lot of those situations. So it was a very uh, different experience. I'm really used to, when I go to a new place to work, I'm really used to getting out there, talking to people, getting to know them, shaking their hands. And it was so much more difficult at this time. But at the same time, I found a big kind of a resilience in the in the medical f workforce we were all challenged by the same issue and the ones that stayed on in healthcare of course many left you know as you know many people did quit the workforce at that time but the ones that stayed were so committed and we did so much for our patients going above and beyond it was really inspiring to see that yes i agree it the amount of dedication and the amount of effort and passion that I saw from the the entire workforce was amazing. It did it did take its toll. Certainly, as you said, there were a lot of people who experienced burnout in a degree that I had never seen in my career before. And I continue to see providers and all healthcare workers who uh, still seem to be coming out of the aftermath of, of COVID to a certain extent. It certainly has left an indelible imprint on our healthcare system across the country and across the entire world. Absolutely. Well, tonight we're here not to talk about COVID, although you may blend that into your talk, I don't know. But um, we've been hearing a lot about artificial intelligence in, in healthcare. And, and I'm just wondering uh, about your thoughts on that and is how new is artificial intelligence in healthcare? So it's interesting you ask that. So before I talk about AI in healthcare, I want to say this. AI in general is percolating more and more into our lives. So as we all know very recently, I think the Screenwriters Guild, uh, amongst many demands, were on strike, and amongst many demands, they were also agitating for protection from AI, which can be a tool that may be used to replace them. And they were agitating that they should have some control over that. It can be a tool for research, but not used to replace them. Similarly, the, uh, the Screen Actors Guild also had a demand during their strike on setting limits on AI. So AI is a big and hot topic right now, and it's not just healthcare, obviously. On a positive note, and I don't know how many of your viewers are photographers, but on a positive note, and I mean that literally, any photographers out there probably know and use a software called Lightroom. And this is used to develop photographs, and AI in Lightroom has been such a great tool for helping you develop and optimize your photographs. So that is a positive aspect of AI. But at the same time, on the flip side, AI can also be used to generate, quote unquote, photographs, which are which is not possible to see if they were from a photographer or if they're artificially generated. So AI is really a tool that's increasingly a part of our lives, and we will have to learn to live with it and to optimize it. So AI in healthcare, I think, again, the use of AI in healthcare is not exactly new. We've been using AI in some form or the other for many years, perhaps even decades. And we really have used it more to analyze data. Electronic medical records has been a big source of data. And AI has been used to analyze whatever they, they kind of spew out, I guess. But also, AI has been used in the past in assessing, for example, risk of disease, predicting time to readmission, and things like that, mostly used for planning for care. But if you really look back all these years and decades, a lot of this has been very basic and rudimentary. And now, what we are seeing is 
paradigm shift, almost an inflection point has been reached with AI, and it is so much more developed now. In fact, what I would say is that right now is pretty much a perfect storm. So we got now such fast computers, processing speeds have increased so much. We got a huge amount of data collection that's happened. And now we have also developed a lot of AI uh, talent pool, which has really enabled rapid deployment and development of software. So all this really has come about at a time when AI has also become so important to us in healthcare. So like I said, pretty much an inflection point at this time, I think, in healthcare, and it's getting increasingly sophisticated and more and more integrated into our daily lives. In your research and, and in your day-to-day -day work, uh, do you have a sense of what the most important changes in healthcare will be from AI, or do you think that it is still so early in this transition and this transformation that it's just too early to tell? Well, so that is the big question. And, you know, I don't, there are so many things that's happening in AI right now. It's almost impossible to even keep up with all that's happening. I can tell you a few current things that we are doing, you know, what, what AI can and is being used for at this time. And some of that is fairly basic stuff, you know, for example, in physical exam, interpretation of physical exam findings, such as skin cancer lesions. I think that's going to be really important, especially as we have increasing reliance on providers that may not have expertise in these areas of medicine. In imaging, for example, interpretation of mammograms and retinal scans has been used has, AI has been used in those, and that has really improved the reporting ability and also in capturing things that the human eye may miss. Robotic surgery, again, AI has been used in that domain as well. I think the most, um, I guess, common use of AI has been in documentation. So the generation of clinical notes and uh, also using AI to help draft, for example, prior auth letters for the insurers. All of this has really helped, again, in decreasing the, some of the drudge work that we have to do in healthcare. One interesting thing I saw recently, a few, few months back, was the ability of AI to respond to patient messages. And some say that AI actually responded with more empathy than even us docs could. So that is good to see and good to uh, develop further. The other thing which I think is happening now in, in AI is that it's going to help us decrease the variability in care. So coming up with guideline-based recommendations for patient care is going to be a big role that AI is going to play in the, in the future. And again, not everything clinical. I think, again, health systems can uh, have been using AI for workflow, staffing optimization, population management, and care coordination. So a lot of these things are happening right now. But what is, where is AI going to go from here? And, you know, it's, it's a very interesting question. And, I, and the more I read into AI, the more astonished I am at the stuff that's happening in this world. So I was, I was really intrigued to see that there were so many examples of AI being used, for example, in drug development. So, you know, protein synthesis. So again, that's a tool that AI is great for. 
And I see a lot of work happening there right now. You know, one of the things you said just kind of uh, piqued my interest. I, I've had a background in uh, healthcare safety, and we increasingly we talk about the challenges that we're seeing both in the inpatient space, but also increasingly in the ambulatory space where uh, looking at heuristics and misdiagnoses in the ambulatory space. We've talked for years about clinical decision support tools to try to help physicians at the bedside take symptom patterns and not just imaging patterns, which are being used, as you said, by radiology or to analyze skin lesions. But have you, in your research, have you been able to ascertain what kind of an impact AI is going to have on clinical decision support uh, for physicians to, and all providers of all type to potentially have a significant impact on uh, diagnostic errors in healthcare? Yes, I think that's that's an interesting question. So I do know, for example, that one particular EHR company, Epic, has really embraced AI technology in its charting and in its EHR platform. And again, I think, you know, utilizing it positively, you know, to help identify not only not only improve documentation, but also help identify potential disease processes that may be going on. So what I always say is, you know, there's, there's two kinds of um, uh, diagnoses that we can make. There is the common everyday disease that we have to manage. And then there is that rare disease that presents in a unusual manner. And you don't know if your patient has the common diagnosis or is manifesting a rare manifestation of a disease you have not thought of. And I think AI can be a great tool to help us maybe explore those options and to help us kind of help guide us in making the right diagnoses in these, in these challenging situations. So I think a lot of improvements in that domain. One thing that I do see uh, already happening, and I think it's going to get even more prevalent, is in rural health, for example. So a lot of rural health is provided by mid-level practitioners, and they may not have access to a specialist in real time. And I think an EHR guidance tool and guidelines that it can give them and help them uh, kind of uh, establish the right way to work up and manage a disease condition may be very helpful to us in the future. Okay, thank you. What about uh, the downsides, if any, of, of AI and healthcare? You mentioned early on how the actors uh, and the screenwriters guild were kind of anxious about them being replaced. It, are you seeing anything similar to that in healthcare as you talk to other providers, your colleagues? So I'm not. I have not seen it personally so far in my research. Let me, let me tell you some of the risks inherent in AI. So one is, of course, the, the tendency that we have sometimes to blindly trust our tools. And my advice to all clinicians is to never blindly trust the AI, but view it as a data point in a medical decision. And also, while using AI, make sure that we document that we are using AI and how are we using it, because that should, not, that should be a transparent utilization of this resource. But the challenges with AI also, if, if your data is inaccurate, and data integrity is a big problem, as you know, uh, this can, especially if the patient records are not accurate, 
may help may cause misguidance by an AI recommendation. So we need to be very careful that we are utilizing the, the correct data that is accurate. Also, you know, just like in everything in life, algorithms can be biased and even AI can be biased and this can lead to further inequity in healthcare delivery. So we need to be mindful of that and to be always looking for opportunities to safeguard against that. Then, of course, there is always the question of reliability of uh, knowledge base because clinical information can change, guidelines do change, and AI will be depending on these guidelines to offer its recommendations. So older uh, guidelines that, is, that are invalidated should be removed from the database so that we have more accurate AI prediction and recommendations. Well, I was just, in terms of your update, I, I was doing a little bit of reading a few months ago, and I, I had not realized this, but initially when ChatGPT was released, I think they had the, the data going into the algorithm was cut off in sometime in 2021, September of 2021, correct? So to your right. point, uh, here we are relying on artificial intelligence, but it hasn't learned any, I shouldn't, maybe that's the wrong word, but it doesn't have any updated information since September of 2021. So True. I had a friend of mine who said, if you ask it, you know, who the governor of a state is, and they were elected after that date, they would give you the wrong answer because they didn't have the right inputs. So exactly. that speaks to your point, I think, uh, in terms of making sure that we we are relying on something that has the most up-to-date information. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, of course, is going to be up to us to police that to make sure those guardrails are in place. But one thing I was going to mention to you uh, was also the liability implications. We really haven't mm -hmm. even assessed. We don't, we don't even know what that liability of using AI, especially if it gives us inaccurate uh, recommendations or guidelines, you know, what is the implication of that? And that has not been explored at all. And of course, with any technology, we have to be mindful of the risk of uh, data breach. Um, we must also remember that when we use any kind of an AI tool, PHI may leak because we don't always realize that we are using a platform that is a third party. For example, ChatGPT is OpenAI. So while, you know, so, so what is their responsibility for safeguarding patient information? Those have not been established. And the most bizarre thing that I have learned about AI is the fact that it can hallucinate, hmm. which is a confident response that AI will, uh, will give that is not justified by its training data. So we need to be guarding for that as well. How does the healthcare system, physicians and other healthcare providers, how do how do we put safeguards in place? Is there discussion around that? Because that's something I haven't, I mean, I've heard anxiety around it, but I haven't heard many solutions around it. Yes, and I don't think that it's been fully explored yet as far as I know. I think again, so one of my pet peeves is that healthcare, in healthcare, we clinicians have ceded control to other people. Um, you know, healthcare is not run by doctors for the most part anymore. And I don't want the same fate to befall artificial intelligence in healthcare. I think, again, clinicians, we clinicians need to control this technology and we must create guardrails. I'm not a big fan of, um, of too, much, too much policy and you know, things that may stifle research and, and innovation, but 
this is too important for us to not have some kind of guardrails and understand that this technology should be owned by clinicians and should be used by clinicians for healthcare. We should not allow AI to become a tool that will replace a clinician, but just help to augment them. And do you have concerns that getting that type of control over the technology, especially with um, governmental interests being one of the largest payers in the country uh, and um, non-physicians who increasingly, especially in healthcare organizations that have become for-profit and they have a board of directors and they have investors, um, that seems like that would would be an increasingly difficult challenge as you look at the players who all have a vested interest in using AI, some to improve their profit, some to improve the quality of healthcare, and some to reduce the cost. Yes, exactly. I think, again, I'm not a big fan of regulations, but I think this is where regulations would be, would be important. And also, we must understand who is making investments in these models and what their agenda may be. Those those that 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 information is so important for us before we start to use a tool that we really don't fully understand the full implications of as of yet i i don't know what your thought is on this but i I think it it may be interesting to see with the level of interest in ai it, it really may be interesting to see how well we can control the spigot of how quickly AI comes into healthcare and can we do can we implement AI in healthcare in a very well thought out way or is it going to be like a tsunami and providers uh, both physicians and healthcare organizations payers are going to be rushing to it and using it in ways that may end up being uh, looked at retrospectively as counterproductive yes i so i i have great hope in the technology but also realize that right now it is free for all it's the wild west everybody's got their own ai you know program that they're working on and uh so it is a tsunami right now uh but i think that especially once we understand the importance of this and we start to learn to control it and to build those guardrails we will be able to have some control over the final product, especially the ones that are going to touch our patients. So the last time we had a conversation uh, about AI, and it was in a little bit of a different format, but uh, you mentioned Mission Impossible, I think it was. And I was just sitting on my couch two nights ago, and I was watching Mission Impossible, and I hadn't even thought of that until until just now. But um, what is that reference in, in relation to AI and healthcare? Maybe you could explain that to me again, because I know we talked about it and I can't remember what we talked about. Yeah, I think what I was what I was talking about at that time was the so I think Mission Impossible raised the bogey of the sentient AI, you know, so mm-hmm. we're kind of graduating from simple AI to a sentient AI, one that is going to control us and uh, will be our overlords and masters. And I don't want to be that fanciful, but I still worry, like I said earlier, that if we don't, as clinicians, control this technology, then we don't know where it is going to go. So again, like we discussed a little while back, those guardrails, those policies, those procedures, those 
making sure that that uh, we are utilizing this this technology as as innovatively as possible, but also for the greater good of our patients, and not for profit generation, not for data mining that may be counter counterproductive to our patients. So again, we are the ultimate guardians of this, and we need to be controlling it. This podcast is sponsored by the Physician Executive MBA program at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville's Haslam College of Business. In less than one calendar year, this program will equip you with valuable business acumen and leadership development not found in traditional medical school curriculum. Are you ready to join the longest-running physician-only MBA program in the country and a network of nearly 1,000 PEMBA graduates? Visit tiny.utk.edu forward slash POD podcast for information about this exciting opportunity. And now we'll return to the episode. Do you have any sense of whether, just again, your thoughts, do you think AI will be, have a bigger impact on surgical specialties, medical specialties, or even in the imaging realm that you talked about with using AI to help understand whether a particular abnormality on some type of an imaging study could represent a threat to to a person. What are your thoughts on that? If you've been able to sort of get any sense of where the impact may be the most significant? I think it'll be all of them, really. I think, you know, the, the important thing in surgery is going to be the ability for a clinician to be able to maybe visualize better the surgical field. I think I read somewhere that, uh, for example, bronchoscopy can be improved by AI that may help identify lung lesions that should be biopsied. So again, these are all, uh, you know, there's so much change happening right now that it'll be very hard for us to predict where it'll go. But I think every domain, every aspect of medicine will see the impact of AI and will see benefits from AI. Medicine, of course, in, in general, like we just talked about with the imaging um, algorithms, that's good. That's, that'll improve further, help us, you know, really uh, not miss any any potential lesions. Uh, those would, of course, those are already happening. But what the future looks like, where it's going to go, it's really hard for us to see that right now. But I really see it happening or involving every aspect of medicine. It's interesting, too, as you think about the number of years that we've heard about shortages in healthcare, and I think that conversation really escalated Mm -hmm. during COVID and post-COVID, such a large part of what we do as healthcare workers is really human-to-human contact. But Mm -hmm. there's also an element, uh, obviously, as you've alluded to in some of your examples, where it's really cognitive work, and that cognitive work can be very much enhanced by AI. And it will be, I'd be interested to know your, your thoughts on how you might see this impacting physician shortage issues or provider shortage issues? Yes, I think one of the big advantages would be in, for example, documentation. So it takes a long time for us to really complete our charts, you know, all the 
all the information that's needed, all the clicks we have to make. I think, that, and that is a really big source of burnout for our clinicians. You know, we, we hear so many of them going home and finishing the charts when they get home. I think a lot of that will be improved with AI use. Also, I think, again, like we discussed earlier, generation of letters, which is another big source of frustration and a very time-consuming activity that our, our providers have to do. So all of these things, I think, would be a really useful use of AI that's going to help remove some of that that drudgery, you know, some of that uh, some of that work that can be done by AI more efficiently and perhaps with with better language, better improved, you know, documentation. I think that's a good point, and I'm sure you have seen this as as I know I have that we and you talked about the accuracy of the documentation. It's amazing to me how many times I review a chart and have seen information pulled into a documentation from a visit that was six months prior and is really no longer valid and really shouldn't be used to being making treatment or, or diagnostic decisions on a patient. I would love to see AI make that process simpler so that it enhance the accuracy and improve the accuracy of what is actually included in the medical record. Absolutely. So, well, thank you for that discussion of AI. I wondered if you would mind if I just took a few minutes. I, I'm kind of interested in how you became <clears throat> interested in moving into leadership roles in healthcare. So it's a long journey, you know, started many, many years ago. And I think what really happened many, many years ago was that I was given the medical directorship of a small program in my hospital that was at that time dealing with patients with diabetes. So what they were doing at that time was providing some education to our uh, patients in the hospital that had diabetes. And at that time, it was a very small program. But when I was offered the medical directorship, I could see that this could be a program that could really be expanded and be made to incorporate not just education, but also management. So when I took up that position, I did kind of uh, augment that whole department to not only provide education to inpatients, but also provide management to inpatients. And eventually we expanded that program to the ambulatory side. And we were now getting referrals from a large part of the state to manage diabetes. So that kind of told, kind of, you know, I, I, I recognize that if I am in a leadership position, I can do things that will improve outcomes for our patients. And so that piqued my interest. That's when I did my PEMBA course, learned more about management and got my MBA, and then eventually moved on to other challenging assignments, such as chairing the Department of Medicine, moving on to chief quality officer position, and then on to the CMO position. So it's really been more my own interest in trying to improve patient outcomes and my feeling that I can impact that by taking those leadership positions and challenging my teams to do more for these patients. Great. So it sounds like your journey began really with a performance improvement project, working on diabetes management, and you were became more and more interested in what it takes to improve healthcare. Right. So yes. Yeah. Where Where do you see yourself going uh, 
And, and what do you see for yourself in your career over the next five to 10 years? It's hard to predict right now. I'm happy where I am as chief medical officer, but I wish that I had the ability to go back to what I always have done, which is inpatient and outpatient work. So as CMO of a hospital, I'm kind of constrained to the four walls of the hospital, but I understand the importance of the healthcare happening outside the four walls. And in fact, I feel that that healthcare impacts my inpatients more than I can impact my inpatients right now with, with process improvements in the hospital. So I've been trying to build those bridges and to talk with the ambulatory providers to see how we can work together, especially with transitions of care. But if I was to go anywhere in the future, I would love to be in a position where I could really work on transitions and work on the entire continuum of care for the patients. Okay, great. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. The other thing I, I just wanted to give you a minute, I know you've you completed your MBA almost 10 years ago now in 2014, and I'm sure you've had lots of experiences. I like to give my guests an opportunity to share with the audience anything that we haven't had a chance to touch on, a leadership lesson or some particular insight, whether it's related to AI or just areas of physician leadership. So do you have anything that you would like to share that we haven't had a chance to touch on? So one thing which I have learned in my physician leadership roles is that every clinician, everybody that comes to work in the healthcare setting, don't mean to do harm. They mean to do well. They, they, they mean to improve their patients' lives. But they sometimes lack the tools or the ability to do that because of processes. And I really want to work on that so that I can remove any barriers that people may have to do better for the patients just because either they don't know how to or they don't have the tools to do it. I have always encouraged and indeed I have challenged my team to do more. And building those teams has been the best part of my career. I have really come across people who are so committed to the patient's health and outcomes and well-being. And these people have enriched not only patients' lives, but also mine. And that's been the best part of being a leader. Great. Thank you very much, Amit. I appreciate you sharing that. I want to thank all of you for joining us on Pemba On Demand. I look forward to producing more shows that will touch on very salient topics within healthcare and physician leadership. So thank you very much for joining. Thank you, Norman. It's been great talking with you. Nice talking with you, too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Pemba On Demand, Physicians Making a Difference. Thank you for joining and listening. Amit shared interesting insights into the potential impact of artificial intelligence in healthcare in the future. It will be interesting to follow the changes in healthcare that occur as a result of the advances of AI. Amit also shared some of his background in healthcare in general. I always enjoy hearing about the journeys of physician leaders as I interview them for this podcast. That wraps up our show for today. Thank you very much for joining and listening to the podcast. If you have any comments or questions regarding this episode, please feel free to add them in the comment section on our website, tiny.utk.edu forward slash POD podcast. We love hearing from you and are happy to answer any questions you may have. I will add a link to the website below. Please also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast by clicking the subscribe button. Add Pemba On Demand to your podcast library today. 
I would also appreciate it if you could leave a review of the podcast on your podcast player. Share the podcast with your friends and colleagues also. Please take good care of yourselves. And as always, good luck with your future.